Good morning. Happy Lord's Day. My name is Ben. I am one of the five pastors and one of the 122 members here at Bethany Baptist Church. And it is always a privilege to preach God's word. So if you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12, our passage this morning is going to be on verses 12 to 26. That's 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 26. And you're going to find that, if you're using one of the, the Black Pew Bibles underneath the seats, you're going to find that on page 1019. First Corinthians 12, 12 to 26. It says this. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we've just sung that our worth is not in skill or name, in win or lose, in pride or shame, but in the blood of Christ that flowed at the cross. We pray now that our understanding of this truth would deepen as we meditate now on your word. We know your word is perfect, so we pray you would revive our souls. We know that your testimonies are trustworthy, so we pray you would make wise the simple. We know that your testimonies are right, so we pray you would rejoice our hearts. We know that your commandments are pure, so we pray that you would enlighten our eyes. Give us each faith now as we hear the message about Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone knows what it feels like to want something that you don't have, right? We can all resonate with that feeling. To wish you were better at something, I wish I had the stamina to stay up past 9.30. <laughs> I wish I was faster at doing things. 
because I feel I'd be so much more productive with my time. In Dr. Seuss's book titled The Sneetches, he talks about the division that's been created within a group of bird-like creatures called sneetches. A division created by the haves and the have-nots of a little green star you could find on their bellies. He begins his story like this. Now the star belly sneeches had bellies with stars. The plain belly sneeches had none upon thars. Those stars weren't so big. They were really so small. You might think such a thing wouldn't matter at all. But because they had stars, all the star belly sneeches would brag, we're the best kind of sneech on the beaches. With their snoots in the air, they would sniff and they'd snort, we'll have nothing to do with the plain belly sort. And whenever they met some, when they were out walking, they'd hike right past them without even talking. When the star belly sneeches had frankfurter roasts or picnics or parties or marshmallow toasts, they never invited the plain belly sneeches. They left them out cold in the dark of the beaches. They kept them away, never let them come near, and that's how they treated them year after year. In this story, the sneeches all seem to be the same on the outside. They all have the same yellow feathers, the same beak, the same striped necks. But what distinguished them from one another was prominent, but still small, it was those little green stars on their tummies. Some had it, others didn't. The ones who possessed this green star were were viewed as superior, and the ones without it, well, they were viewed as inferior. And they coveted that small green star. They overvalued the star bellies and undervalued the plain ones. The green star was something outwardly visible. And if you had it, you were perceived as being someone. Having a star meant you were a star. And if you didn't have the green star, well, you weren't. The green star was a symbol of status. And as a result, the green star was also a symbol of division. In our passage today in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is addressing the church at Corinth. Corinth was a city in Rome that was marked by worldliness. Like the Sneetches, they too were obsessed with status. But they too, well, they were obsessed with and lovers of greed, advocates of sexual immorality, and worshipers of idols. And the church at Corinth reflected this worldliness. The church was divided over church leaders. They tolerated sexual immorality. They dragged fellow believers to court. They nurtured an elitist environment at the Lord's Supper as they marginalized the poor. And they elevated one spiritual gift over another. And it was the church's infatuation with status, their obsession with the showy, celebrity-like gifts that contributed to division within the church. And this is what Paul is addressing here in our passage. They each wanted the little green star on their bellies. Those who had it were superior, and those who did not have it were inferior. Paul is trying to get the Corinthians to see that the division that exists is man-made, not God-made. God designed the church body to be unified, but he also, or I guess I should say, and he also 
designed it to be diverse. The body is one, but many parts. The body is not one, but many. But instead of building up the church at Corinth, their feelings of superiority and inferiority contributed to it being torn down. They weren't functioning as one, but rather as a bunch of independent pieces. They were called to be set apart from the world, but their failure to deny themselves actually set themselves apart from one another. Brothers and sisters, are you feeling distant with other members of the local church body this morning? Are you feeling inferior as if your gifts don't matter? Perhaps you're feeling superior in your gifts, although that may be something harder to profess. Feelings of inferiority and superiority can lead to feelings of disconnect and division within the church body. And even if you're not in a season of feeling more disconnected with other members right now, I think they are feelings that we all struggle with from time to time. And I have good news for us today. So if you're taking notes today, I think the main goal of our text is have the same concern for each of the members of the body. Have the same concern for each of the members of the body. Why? Why should we have the same concern for each of the members of the body? We are one diverse body because of the Son. We are one diverse body because of the Spirit. And we are one diverse body because of the Father. So our three points are Son, Spirit, and Father. So point number one. We are one diverse body because of the Son. So in our text this morning, 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to be looking at verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. So just as the human body is composed of a number of different parts... It remains one human body, and so also is Christ. So also are we, the body of Christ, the church. We too are made up of a diversity of parts, but we still form one body. The church being the body of Christ is a phrase that we as believers have heard before, but whose significance is really easy to underestimate. Let's turn our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. That's going to be on page 1036 in your Bibles. We're going to come back to 1 Corinthians 12, but you're going to turn in your Bibles to your right. It's going to be on page 1036 if you're using one of the pew Bibles. Ephesians 1, and then we're going to go to Ephesians 2 as well. So Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. Here Paul says that God the Father subjected everything under Christ's feet, appointing Christ as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. We as the church are Christ's body. We are unified in one body, and this unity could only come through Christ. It's not only what Christ paid for, but it's actually also what he prayed for. In John 17, he prayed to God, the Father, that his body, Christ's body, wouldn't be divided, but rather that his body would be one. We as Christians were once completely divided, and we were separated from one another. We were just a solitary body part that had no life, just 
a separated part that was wasting away. Not only were we once separated from one another, but more importantly, we were separated from God the Father. But in Ephesians 2 and 13, go ahead and look there. Peter read, for this, read this for us earlier. Ephesians 2, we're going to look at verses 13 and 14. We see that because of Christ's love for us, he has brought us near through his blood. And because of his sacrifice, he tore down the dividing wall of hostility. Then, going down to verse 19, Paul goes on to say that we are no longer foreigners and strangers, but because of Christ, we are now fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. If you look around this room, you're going to see people with different interests, a whole lot of differences, right? And so many of us wouldn't naturally be friends if it wasn't for Christ. He is our common denominator. He brings a group of misfits together for one common goal. So while we are all different in God-ordained ways, we can all still learn from one another our strengths and our weaknesses to love Christ and to love the church. Our diversity is essential for oneness. 1 Peter 2.10 says that there was once a time when we were not a people, but now we are God's people because of his mercy through Christ. So it is through Christ's sacrifice, his life, his death, and his resurrection that we, are, that we were given life and that we were grafted into his body. And now we as Christians have been reconciled to God and we've been reconciled to his people, not just universally, but locally. We are one universal body because of the Son, and we become a part of the local body by becoming a publicly, publicly recognized member of a local church. I want to address Christians who aren't a member of a local church toward the end of our time here this morning. But right now, I want to address our friends here this morning who are not Christian. If you're not a Christian, thank you for being here this morning. There are hundreds of different places you could be, especially on Labor Day weekend. I mentioned a few moments ago that there exists a natural separation between us and others and us and God. A natural separation that can only be fixed supernaturally. God created us in his image, and we were made to image him, to reflect him. But instead, we've seen ourselves as being superior to God and tried to make God into our image. This turning from God is what the Bible calls sin. God is perfectly holy, perfectly righteous, and he cannot ignore our sin. At the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2, it says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. So because of our sin, we have been separated from God, who is life and gives life. And we are spiritually dead apart from him. The penalty for our sin is an eternal death, an eternal separation from God. Just a little further in Ephesians 2, verse 4, we read that the reason for our true hope as sinners, it says that, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in our trespasses. 
If you are not a Christian, God is calling you to clearly see that it is your sin that separates you. But to also clearly see that it is his mercy and grace that unites. God is calling you to turn from your sin and put your faith in Christ, through whom you will be made alive and through whom you will be fused into his family. That is what a Christian is, someone who, by God's grace, sees themselves as a sinner, sees the eternal separation from God that exists, but also sees that because of God's mercy through his son, that they can be united to him by turning from their sin and putting their faith in him and him alone. This is what we refer to as the good news, the gospel. If you have any questions about the gospel, please feel free to see me afterwards or ask any of the members, maybe the individual that might have invited you here this morning. So point number one, we are one diverse body because of the Son. And point number two, we are one diverse body because of the Spirit. Because of the Spirit. And we see this in verse 13. So let's turn back to 1 Corinthians 12. Verse 13. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And we were all given one spirit to drink. Good segue. Excuse me. So typically when we hear the word baptism, we think of water baptism. An act of obedience that happens after we become saved. Because getting saved only comes through faith and repentance in Christ. But rather, baptism ought to be a Christian's response to getting saved. Baptism is where we as Christians publicly identify with Christ's life, death, and resurrection. But Paul isn't speaking of a water baptism here. He says, we, referring to Christians here, we were all baptized by one spirit. He's not talking about an act of our own obedience, but rather an act of the Holy Spirit that unites us to Christ. And which also unites us to his body, the church. We, beca- we become Christians by putting our faith in Christ, repenting from our sins. But who is the one who opened our eyes so that we could clearly see the distance that has been placed between us and others and us and God? Who is the one who softens our hearts so we can understand that Christ's blood is what draws us near? The Spirit. It is the Spirit that converts us to life from death. And it is the Spirit's work that unites us to the local body, to Christ and his body. So unity has now returned because division had unseated it. And here in verse 13, Paul is identifying divisions that existed in that culture. Divisions based on ethnic background, Jews and Greeks. Divisions based on social status, slaves and free. These divisions are actually seen in our culture today. Divisions based on ethnic background, Asian Americans, Latino Americans, African Americans, European Americans. Divisions based on socioeconomic status, one's income, their education, their occupation. Divisions based on age, divisions based on marital status, married, single, 
According to one commentator, Paul is saying that in Christ, these distinctions have been erased. Not in the sense that one is no longer Jew or Greek, not in the sense that one is no longer Asian American or African American, but in the sense of those distinctions having their significance. What is significant now is the common bind, is the common bond we have in Christ. What is significant now is what makes us distinct from the world. What is significant now is that we are one diverse and unified body. At the beginning of verse 13, Paul says, we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. And he finishes off the verse by saying, we were all given one spirit to drink. Brothers and sisters, we've all been planted into the body of Christ in the same exact way. It has nothing to do with our upbringing, our education, our ethnic background, or even our giftedness. It's solely based on Christ. We've all been planted into Christ's body by being immersed in and made to drink of the Holy Spirit. It's because of the Spirit's work that we can have the same concern for each of the members of the body. So point number one, we are one diverse body because of the Son. Point number two, we are one diverse body because of the Spirit. And point number three, we are one diverse body because of the Father. The Father. So we're going to leapfrog verses 14 to 17 for now, and then we're going to look at verses 18 to 24 first. But as it is, God has arranged each of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the, to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, these parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together. Let's stop there for now. We are one diverse body because of the Father. And we see this in verse 18. But as it is, God himself has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And then he, re he reinforces this again in the middle of verse 24 when he says, instead, God has put the body together. God, the master builder, has himself personally assembled the church to his precise liking. The ultimate creator has hand-selected each one of the members of the body and designated a diversity of gifts according to his perfect and infinite wisdom. Verses 18 and 24 start off with the words but and instead. And these two words are indicative of contrasting ideas. The placement of these two words here is contrasting tr something true with something absurd. What is true is that God has arranged each one of the parts just as he wanted. So what is absurd then? Well, in the verses leading up to verse 18 and then in the verses leading up to verse 24, Paul compares the human body to the church body. And this is where Paul points out what is absurd. He gives us a really good visual on, on how ridiculous it would be if our own physical body parts would, if they were to have just a mind of their own, um, strangely adopting a disposition of self-centeredness and then declare their independence 
from one another. And what Paul is doing here with his personification of self-sufficient human body parts, he's hammering down a warning to the church. He warns us of two things that threaten the unity within the body that we as believers are guilty of because, like the sneeches, we're so easily deceived and captivated by appearances. There are two things that we can say, whether consciously or subconsciously, that undermine harmony in the church. Paul says that these two things are absurd and these two things are wrong. They oppose God's sovereignty. They oppose God's design for the church. So don't say them. Don't think them. And then, of course, don't do them. We are one diverse body because of the Father. So remove them from, the, from your vocabulary. Purge them from your hearts because from our hearts the mouth speaks. The two things that Paul warns against saying are, A, don't say you are not important, and B, don't say others are not important. So we're going to have four subpoints here, and these are the first two. Point A, don't say you are not important. We'll see that in verses 14 to 19. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? The church of Corinth, unity was threatened by those who felt inferior and by those who felt superior because of their perception of giftedness or their lack thereof. So we're going to address feelings of inferiority first, and then we're going to address feelings of superiority. Are we dissatisfied with our role in the church? Are we um, dissatisfied with what we perceive as getting shortchanged on giftedness? If so, we're actually discontent with God's design. As many of you know, speed is not one of my strengths. I'm just slow. My internal processor is from 1974, and despite my attempts, repeated attempts to update it, it's been to no avail. My speed is what it is. But recently, my brother and pastor, Peter Jung, sensed my frustration with my slowness, asking me if I saw it more of a curse than a blessing. Peter was essentially questioning my questioning of God's sovereignty, pointing out that my slowness is actually a gift from above. Romans 9, 20, and 21 says, Who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Well, what is formed, say to the one who formed it, Why did you make me like this? As a mere pot, I was questioning the potter's right over the clay as I questioned my own slowness. You can hear it in my speech, right? <laughs> we can easily slip into this mentality of doubting our gifts and then ultimately doubting God's sovereignty in the process. Sometimes it's explicit, but sometimes 
it's not. So what are some ways that we might say that we're not important? We say we're not important when we envy the gifts of others. We say we're not important when we aren't thankful for the gifts God has given us. We say we're not important when we don't recognize our gifts as gifts. We say we're not important when we're jealous of the bonds that we perceive that others have. We say we're not important when we choose not to attend the gatherings just because we don't feel like it. We say we're not important when we say we're not a part of a ministry that is publicly recognized. We say we're not important when we're passive and convince ourselves that such and such person or ministry has the help they need, and I don't need to serve. We say we're not important when we think we deserve gifts outside of the ones that we have. We say we're not important when we have a shallow understanding of what we actually deserve, eternal death. To the members of Bethany Baptist Church, the church body needs you. We can't all be the hand. We can't all be the eyes. And that is a good thing. You weren't meant to exercise your gifts like someone else. You're meant to be you in the body. We need you. Earlier in verse 7, Paul says that a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person. Look with me there. Why? What does it say there? For the common good. For the common good of the party, the, the body. Every part is vital. God has designed the body to be diverse. God has not designed the body to have unity at the expense of uniformity. He's diversified the body for the common good. God calls you just as you are, and he is the one that works through you. You are called to be you, not someone else. So be thankful for how God uniquely created you and has placed you in the body, and take joy in that. You have a particular brand of giftedness that can bless the rest of the body. Diversity is a part of God's design because diversity is essential for unity. So let's be careful not to disregard the importance of our role in the body. Similarly, we want to be aware of times that we might disregard the importance of the roles that others have in the body. So we're one diverse body because of the Father. So A, don't say that you are not important, and B, don't say that others are not important. 1 Corinthians 12, 19 to 21. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. I don't need you. Strong words. And also foolish words in the context of the human body and these body parts that were deceived into thinking that independence, actuality, dismemberment, is wise. These parts are so puffed up that they've bought into this delusion of self-sufficiency. Proverbs 18.1 says that one who isolates himself pursues selfish desires. He rebels against all sound wisdom. We might not actually verbalize the words, I don't need you, in such a strong manner. 
but we'd be deceiving ourselves if we're not guilty of that in some way, shape, or form. Self-sufficiency is harmful, and it's damaging to the unity and diversity of the body. So it is critical to recognize any role that we might be playing in that. We say others are not important when our pride interferes with us asking for help. We say others are not important when our speech about others is not edifying. We say others are not important when we passively fail to speak the truth in love to others. We say others are not important when we don't pray for other church members. We say others are not important when we withhold our gifts from serving others. We say others are not important when we gravitate to those that we perceive as being more gifted. We say others are not important when we gravitate to those that maybe we're just more comfortable around. We say others are not important when we don't initiate relationships with other members, perhaps because they're not of a certain ethnic background, because they're older, because they're younger, because they're single, because they're married, because they do or do not have kids. The list goes on and on. We say others are not important when we perceive that we just don't have anything in common with them, overlooking that what truly unites us is the work of God the Son, God the Spirit, and God the Father in each of our lives. Brothers and sisters, these attitudes regarding importance aren't mutually exclusive. So I pray that God's grace would come in response to humility as we examine our hearts and consider any contributions to disunity that we might be kidding, as unintentional as they might be. So up to this point, Paul has warned us of a couple don'ts. But he also has a couple do's, starting in, that's D-O, um, starting in verse 22. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect which are respectable parts, do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable. So point C, do treat the weak as indispensable. Do treat the weak as indispensable. Here in verse 22, Paul continues to pose, um, to pose contrasting ideas by starting the verse off with, on the contrary. So Paul continues his, his attack on the superiority complex that those in the Corinthian church had. He's telling them, not only are you, are you wrong about the richness and the oneness that my design for diversity provides, you're actually wrong about the members that you should be honoring and that you should be respecting. It's not the obvious ones. It's not the outwardly impressive ones or the strong ones. No, the ones you should be honoring and respecting are actually the weak Paul turns the Corinthians' fascination for what is honorable and respectable on its head. When we think about the human body parts that are indispensable, which ones come to mind? The ones that are absolutely essential for survival. What's challenging as it would be to live without a foot or a hand an ear or an eye, 
our bodies can survive, withstand their loss if, yeah, if, we, were, if we were to lose them. But if our heart stops working, our, body, our body's ability to pump oxygen through the body stops and we die. If our liver, our lungs, our kidneys cease to function, our body ceases to function and we die. I can't see your liver and you can't see mine. And that's a good thing. Because <laughs> if you could, well, that could be life-threatening, all right? So there is a strategic purpose in the placement of our vital organs. Imagine, we can only imagine them being on the outside of our body and how defenseless they would be. And they require protection from the rest of the body. And Paul is saying that for this reason, while our vital organs might be perceived as weaker, appearances are deceiving. So do treat those who are weaker as indispensable. And in this same vein of deceptive appearances, Paul continues to challenge our thinking and tells us that to promote unity and avoid division in the church, we need to treat the weak as indispensable. So do treat the weak as indispensable. And point D, do dress up the parts that lack it. Do dress up the parts that lack it. So up to this point, the specific body parts Paul has identified by name are the eye, the ear, the hands, and the feet. In addition to them being non-essential in comparison to the vital organs, something else that these four body parts have in common is we don't really think twice about them being seen out in public. Most of these are on full display here this morning, right? But what are the parts of the body that we don't typically see in public? There's a reason that the global fashion industry is a trillion dollar industry. I know that fashion has become more shameless, but the truth is that many of us love to adorn our bodies. And even for, for those that don't care so much about fashion, we still put clothing on. We're all putting on some type of a, a top, be it a shirt or a blouse or some type of bottom, being, be, it, be it pants, shorts, or for women, perhaps a skirt or a dress. And the point is that we each have body parts that require special attention and coverage. Perhaps it's our abdomen, our shoulders, our thighs, and we cover these because we see the importance of doing so. We see these parts of the body as honorable. I'm sorry, we see these parts as less honorable, so we naturally treat them with greater honor. And this is what Paul is getting at. Paul then takes it a step further in the latter half of verse 23 as he explicitly addresses the unpresentable parts, or as the ESV translated translates it, the less presentable parts. Commentators agree that Paul here is referring here to our private parts, our sexual organs. Not in a way that's crass, but in a way that's special. Ever since the fall of man, we've naturally covered our private parts. And Paul is saying that as normal as it is for us to give respect to our private areas with appropriate clothing, that's how ordinary it should be to give respect to our church members who are in, in need of it. So dress up the parts that lack it. 
Clothe these members with greater honor and greater respect because they are lacking it. They're lacking it because we as humans naturally allocate honor and respect to what is publicly impressive. But those aren't the parts that need it. Give greater honor and respect to where it is needed. Bethany Baptist Church members, how well are we as a church giving greater honor and respect to where it is needed? How well are you dressing up the parts that need it? Who are the members of our church body that are, to, that are out of plain sight, the ones you don't see? You look at the members' uh, membership directory and you're not seeing them regularly or perhaps you've never seen them. The members that we might think are weaker are actually essential. We promote unity in the body when we dress up our parts with honor and respect the parts that are lacking it. So what are ways that we can dress up these parts? Another way to ask this question is, what are some ways that we could bless up these parts? Use your spirit-led creativity. If you're in need of help, you can look on page 13 of your, um, of your bulletins. You'll see um, the BLESS acronym there, and you might consider that as a place for starters. Okay, so we're called to give these parts greater honor and respect, not only because they're in need of it, because it's what God does. Let's look back again at the last half of verse 24. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable. Now, this idea is countercultural. In a culture where we naturally give honor to the little green stars of our society, whether it's movie stars, sports stars, or even celebrity pastors, God gives greater honor and greater respect to the less honorable and respectable, and so ought we. And not only do we see that it's what God does, but his purpose for doing so is revealed here in this verse. And I think this is the main goal of our passage. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, verse 25, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. Because of his grace, God himself chooses to give greater honor to the marginalized for the purpose of unity and mutual concern. For unity and mutual concern. And actually, the Greek word for concern used here is translated to be anxious. So Paul is telling the Corinthians to be anxious for one another. And normally when we think about being anxious in the Bible, it's something that we're asked not to do. But here, we're actually called to be anxious for one another. And out of the 17 times this word uh, for being anxious is used in the New Testament, there are only two times that it is used in the positive. The other place where this word is used is in Philippians 2.20, when Paul is speaking of Timothy as one who sought not his own interest, but those of Jesus Christ. So, BBC, be anxious for one another as you seek not your own interests, but the interests of Christ. In just a few moments before we take the Lord's Supper, we're gonna be renewing our church covenant together. We'll be reaffirming the promise we've made to how we devote ourselves to living in light of how God calls us to live. And as we renew this covenant, you're gonna be reminded of a number of ways in which we can have mutual concern or be anxious for one another. 
Our covenant captures the spirit of the final verse of our passage, verse 26. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Last year, I stubbed my toe pretty badly. But believe it or not, my middle toe didn't scream in dance in pain all by its little self. No, my whole body felt it. Ruby's over there probably rolling her eyes, <laughs> thinking that it was my whole, my whole body that had gotten stubbed. But that's how, I, that's how I had responded. It was just my toe that was black and blue and swollen, but my entire body suffered. I suppose so did Ruby, but in a different way. <laughs> and then, as the other parts of the body honored that middle toe, giving it rest, ice, it healed. It wasn't just the middle toe that rejoiced, but my entire body. in response to my middle toe being honored. And this ought to be our response to other parts of the church body, rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. Those are two ways we promote unity and mutual concern for one another. To the members of Bethany Baptist Church and to members of other gospel preaching churches. The passage this morning, here this morning, is mainly directed at us. There's been a lot of application for us to, to digest, I mean, to chew on and, um, and try to digest. But before we close, I want to address Christians who are not members of a church in light of our passage, and primarily Christians who aren't actively pursuing membership at a local church. In verse 21, Paul rebukes the members at the church at Corinth for saying to one another, I don't need you. God has designed the body to be needy. Yes, first and foremost, we are to be needy for him. But in today's passage, we see we're to need one another as well. We need to be concerned to the point of being anxious for one another. And they need to be anxious for us. And being a part of a local church is how we can fulfill God's design for us to have the same concern for one another. There are many one another's in the Bible that we're called to fulfill. And these commands assume that the believers are members of a local church. If we take obedience seriously, it's not possible to carry out these commands without being a member of a local church. If you have any questions about this, feel free to ask me, any of the pastors, um, any of the members as well. We'd love to help answer your questions. We also have a list of churches that we would recommend, of course, outside of Bethany Baptist Church. Peter came up here a little bit earlier and he talked about a yellow sheet. You'll find that in the foyer. Um, if you think that, uh, if that, if you think that those questions and things to look for might be helpful for you. In our story about the Sneetches, things got worse before they got better. An entrepreneur named the Fix-It-Up Chappie was on the prowl, offering the plain belly Sneetches the chance to get the little green star on their belly they'd always dreamed of if they went through his star-on machine for three bucks. The star belly Sneetches, of course, didn't like this, for that would, be, that, that would dilute their status, but they could go through the star off machine, spend 10 bucks, and remove that green star just to continue differentiating themselves from the other Sneetches. 
And as the story progresses, the superiority inferiority problem escalates. And the Sneetches, you see them cycling through the machines, running from one machine to the next, never happy until at the end of the day, they run out of money. Off again, on again, in again, out again. Through the machines, they raced round and about again, changing their stars every minute or two. They kept paying money. They kept running through until neither the plane nor the star bellies knew whether this one was that one or that one was this one or which one was what one or what one was who. Then when every last cent of their money was spent, the fix-it-up chappie packed up and he went. And the story goes on to end on a positive note. After losing all their money, the Sneetches forgot about their stars. And this is how the story ends. The Sneetches got really quite smart on that day, the day they decided that Sneetches are Sneetches, and no kind of Sneetch is the best on the beaches. You see, the way the Sneetches achieved unity was by coming to the end of themselves. They had to come to the end of their resources in order to solve their issues. They lost their money. They lost track of their little green stars. But they found unity in the end. And this is similar to what is required for us for unity and mutual concern as believers in the body of Christ. Coming to the end of ourselves. As Christians, it requires us to lose ourselves, lose any worldly ideas we may have about the body, about gifts, about the complexion of the church. It requires us to lose ourselves, lose our lives, but then find them as we follow Christ. So our final call to action, let us have the same concern for each of the members of the body. Why? We are one diverse body because of the Son, the Spirit, and the Father. So don't say you're not important, and don't say others aren't important. Do treat the weak as indispensable, and do dress up the parts that lack it. If you don't have the same concern for each of the members of the body, you'll disregard God's Trinitarian work in the creation of the church body. You'll advance Satan's agenda for division within the, in the church, and you'll contribute to the church being a, a reflection of the world to the world. But if you do have the same concern for each of the members of the body, everyone will know that we are Christ's disciples and the church will be a reflection of this love to the world. You won't be deceived by appearances as you contribute to God's design for unity and diversity. You'll be good stewards of the gifts he has given you and build up the church. I'm going to close here with a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German theologian who was executed by the Nazis for his resistance to Adolf Hitler, who justified the idea of superiority with, um, of the Aryan master race at the expense of the, uh, of the exclusion of others. And here's what Bonhoeffer said about how important a member's understanding about their part in the body of Christ is. We are all members of a body, not only when we choose to be, but in our whole existence. Every member serves the whole body, either to its health or to its destruction. This is no mere theory. 
It is a spiritual reality. Brothers and sisters, may our understanding of the part we play in the body deepen. By God's grace, will we contribute to building up the church and not to tearing it down as we play our role. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that gives life. Would grace and peace be multiplied in our lives as you grow us in our knowledge of you, your son, and in your spirit, and in the roles you each play in oneness and in diversity in the body. We pray that by grace we would not simply be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. Help us to have the same concern for each of the members of the body as we submit to you and to your design for the church. Guard us from knowledge that puffs up. Help us have love because that is what builds up. Guard us from the deception of appearances. Erase any wrong ideas we have about the body and the importance of oneness and the importance of diversity and deepen our understanding of your design of the local body for our good in your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Something that we typically do here